0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Floor Fight, the post-rider serialized podcast in which each season we assemble a politics bracket and pit our contestants against each other to crown the
1: ultimate winner. I'm your host and your announcer, Michael Levito. Thanks, Mike. I am your other host and your floor manager, Lars Emerson. Welcome to the podcast and to the exciting brawl we have before us. We have 48 entries remaining after uh, the second quarter of round one. So we are squarely now in the third quarter of round one. Last episode, like I said, in the second corner, we went through 16 candidates, eight matchups, and uh, we had some big names advance. We had Gore, Romney, Thomas Jefferson, <laughs> basically equals in the eyes of history. But I- I'm excited <laughs> for, for quarter three here.
0: Yeah, that's right. This is the our, our fourth episode where we're going to be going through a list of losing presidential candidates, pit them against each other, and to find out and determine the answer to the question, who was the greatest president we never had?
1: This time we're going to win. We're in a race. We're going to win this. We will wage a winning
0: campaign in every region of this country. And then we will win. Let there be no doubt, my friends, we're going to win this election.
1: We're fighting for the American future and that's
0: sure that we win. Help me become the next
1: president of the United States. Reminder for our listeners how this works. We started with the 56 runners-up in the competitive U.S. presidential races, plus 16 of the top third and fourth place finishers, eight of whom won their play-in games to make it into the top bracket. Uh, Our our, our play-ins have not done particularly well so far, though.
0: Well, they're all all the lower (laughs)
1: seeds. Yeah, yeah. All candidates have been seeded based on their percentage of the popular vote. So Samuel Tilden, for example, our number one top seed. Uh, He was in our first quarter. He received 50.9% of the popular vote, but he lost the electoral college. So he was the losing candidate with the largest vote share and therefore our (laughs) top seed. Uh, We're going to go through each matchup like we usually do. We'll introduce the candidate, the year, their seed, who they were bested by, and give some context on that year's election. Then Mike and I are going to debate the merits of each before crowning that round's champion. As we always say, if we cannot agree, we will flip a coin because that's how we settle ties in states like Virginia sometimes. Back <laughs> to you, Mike. <laughs> Thanks, Lars, and thank you to the listener. Yes, you, you can follow along
0: with our live updating bracket on our website. Go to the slash floorfight to see the seeds, victors, upcoming matches, and follow along with us each step of the way. So for now, without further ado, let's dive in to round one,
1: quarter three. Thanks, Mike. This is going to be a great round. We have some very good matchups. <laughs> in uh, I know I say that every week, but uh, mm-hmm. we definitely do this time. We are starting with number one seed, Richard Nixon, who lost the election of 1960 against uh, John Anderson, a number 16 seed who played in uh, in our first episode against White. So... Tell us about number one seed, Richard Nixon.
0: Okay, so Richard Nixon was the vice president of the United States under Dwight D. Eisenhower, who decided to run for the presidency of his own right in 1960. Um, he, of course, lost to John F. Kennedy in a very controversial, very close election. He won 219 electoral votes, 26 states, and 49.55% of the vote. The thing about Nixon, though, as you dig into it, you know, he was really running... Uh, on his experience in foreign policy, it was not really, he and Kennedy ideologically were not that that different. Nixon hammered a little harder on anti-communism, specifically domestic anti-communism. He was a buddy of Joe McCarthy than Kennedy certainly did. But, you know, both were uh, wary of the Soviet threat, but Nixon said that he was the better man to handle it because of his experience as vice president and in the Senate. And essentially ran on sort of the prosperity and security of the Eisenhower era. And actually, his vice presidential nominee, Henry Cabot Lodge Jr., promised to appoint a black cabinet secretary, which I believe would have been the first black cabinet secretary in American history. Hmm. Um, So they were also running on that as well.
1: Very cool. Uh, Yeah, so John Anderson, uh, we introduced him in our play-in episode, but uh, just to rehash quickly, uh, so in the 1980 election, John Anderson ran as a third-party candidate. He was a Republican congressman from Illinois turned independent. He ran against incumbent President Carter, Republican candidate Ronald Reagan. He got like 6.5% of the vote in 1980. Reagan won. Anderson was, (laughs) we said in the first episode, he basically appealed to People like Mike and myself, like college-educated, like Rockefeller Republican types. Those who are intellectuals like like you and me, Mike. Yes, that's true. Like liberal but fiscally conservative. Socially liberal, fiscally conservative. He was that kind of guy. We got Richard Nixon versus John Anderson. What are we doing? <laughs>
0: Yes, I, it's interesting. I, I, I think that you are probably probably kinder to Richard Nixon than a lot of people. <laughs> uh,
1: he was a gentle soul.
0: <laughs> so there's that. It's interesting, right? It's So I think if I had been alive in 1980 and I were voting in presidential election, I probably would have voted for John Anderson.
1: Yes, that is a um, very Mike move, actually. <laughs> yes,
0: my. but of course the issue is that if he gets elected, he is now an independent president who has to deal with a a fairly conservative Senate majority now, and 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 you know basically he has he has, he's taking it from all sides, right? right? You know he doesn't really have a natural constituency in Congress, and you could see a lot of just kind of like gridlock. I think,
1: or, or um, a lot more compromising because he's basically half in either party at this point. That is true. And if Nixon wins, you know,
0: obviously Nixon had the whole Watergate problem. <laughs> but I don't know. It's interesting, right? If if you subscribe to the theory that I'm kind of making up that part of Nixon's Watergate era paranoia was born of the fact that he felt like he was screwed out of Illinois in the 1960 election, does he resort to those to those ends when he's president in, in 1960? You know,
1: <laughs> It's unfortunate. So when, like, researching for this matchup, I googled, Mm -hmm. when was the tape recorder invented? (laughs) (laughs) It was long before this, but... Yeah, I mean, we also have to think about, like, it it kind of is difficult to compare, like, Nixon and Kennedy, even Mm -hmm. though that is the... comparison you have to make in 1960 because Kennedy is, of course, assassinated. So you almost have to compare Nixon and Johnson in some ways, which I think is a much more kind comparison to Nixon overall. Like, for all of his faults, Nixon certainly got out of the Vietnam War (laughs) eventually. Yeah. Um,
0: He He also did his best to extend it as long as
1: possible. Yes, (laughs) and and ensure peace with honor. I, I don't think Nixon gets assassinated in... The 1960s, probably not. Yeah, because I... he did no favors to the mob, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> you have, you, JFK probably survives the 60s in this situation. You you yes. have just two very interesting alternate histories to unpack, right? So here here's the, here's what I think
0: of when I think of a Nixon presidency in
1: 1960.
0: Sure, I f- I feel like there are three key. Do you get this questions to answer? Right. Yeah. Do you get the space program? I think yes. Yes. I think because so. the, the Soviet space program would go on and he he would do something, right? Yeah. Do you get Great Society the Great Society programs, right? Because it, that was a Johnson thing down to Kennedy thing, but obviously Johnson became president because of Kennedy's assassination. Do you get the Johnson era civil rights legislation?
1: Those last two are harder. Yeah. O- on your second one, on the Great Society legislation, I I, I kind of lean towards yes. I think you end up getting something because, you know, Nixon is not, he's not really like a small government kind of, kind of Republican.
0: No. Yeah. He, he definitely governed within the constraints of like the New Deal consensus, right? Right. Uh, his vice president, where he elected 1960, would be Henry Cavillage Jr., who was, who was like a liberal Republican, really.
1: Right. Yeah. You, you may even get a less polarized version of it in many mm-hmm. ways. It's so weird. <laughs> I, I I think I, and c- civil rights. I don't know. I, I you probably don't get it as soon. Yeah, I don't think so either. Do you, however, avoid the like foreign policy mishaps of the nineteen sixties? Th- does Does Nixon survive the Cuban Missile Crisis? I think yes. I, I think yeah, it, yeah, almost certainly yes. He was certainly a more experienced hand than Kennedy. Mm-hmm. I kind of think you don't get Vietnam at the level it's at with Nixon. Nixon is not a particularly pro-war president at any point in his like elections, you know. And it's interesting too, right? Because you think about
0: Eisenhower and he ran and ending the Korean War, right? Yeah. Well, let's 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 think about this from the John Anderson's angle too now, right? Sure. Well, like, what, what does Anderson give you or not give you that Reagan gave you or did not give you? I,
1: I think if, if, if Anderson is by some miracle elected in 1980, you kill the Reagan revolution. That, yeah, yeah. It, it'd be pretty... <laughs> I mean, this would be shocking. <laughs> like, I don't know. You, you end up with a... I, my problem... I, I think John Anderson is, like, not qualified, really, to be president. He has... <laughs> okay. th- this is kind of why I lean towards Nixon in this circumstance, even given what we've already kind of said are some problems with Nixon hmm john anderson is, is like a congressman i guess he was in congress 20 years mm-hmm. that is that is a decent length of time the, the ages are are kind of built as a domestic decade but there are certainly a lot of foreign policy things that happen so i i, I we were talking about this
0: before we were recording i always talk about the rick pearl scene books i'm reading but i'm going to do it again i'm currently reading <laughs> reaganland which is you'll not believe this about ronald reagan and his rise to power but it takes place from between 1960 and 1980. And as I think tempting it is to be like, oh, we'll end sort of like the conservative ascendancy in 1980, I think it is eventually inevitable. Actually, y- y- yes. you get some version of it later on, and I think that's just because you know, basically, liberals—they were—they were sort of on this tightrope where they couldn't give enough compelling solutions to the problem the country was facing, and the ones they did give just upset their base.
1: <laughs> basically, well, Anderson um, is also a rebuke to liberals. Yes,
0: yeah. He was kind of a hawk in foreign policy, hmm. relatively speaking, at least. Well, not relative to Reagan, but, you know.
1: I really don't know what to do. Are you, like, strongly leaning one way or over the other?
0: I, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards Anderson.
1: <laughs> I'm kind of leaning towards Nixon. <laughs> is this going to be our we, first are, coin flip? Are we flipping a coin, man? So, Nixon is certainly ready and qualified to be president in 1960. Mm-hmm. And sure, in sixty eight maybe Lyndon B. Johnson is elected president or something. Mm-hmm. I am not sure that I can say with the same certainty that John Anderson is prepared to be president in nineteen eighty
0: one. I don't necessarily disagree, but I I guess I'll go with Nixon too.
1: Uh, I really thought we were gonna get a coin flip out of that. I don't I don't want I don't want a coin flip on a one V sixteen though. That well, feels wrong. That's the other thing too, right? Is <laughs> John Anderson he's a third party candidate. Yeah. against the uh, number one seed richard nixon
0: what, what i feel like honestly might happen if john anderson <laughs> becomes president is you get like a conservative like third party
1: honestly that would be fascinating yeah okay so nixon is advancing but it was tighter than we thought it was gonna be yes hey let's let's move on to a slightly less contentious round that was a number one seed versus a number 16 though that's pretty <laughs> uh it
0: was a tough match that's
1: pretty rough That's what Um,
0: happens when you do (laughs) Watergate. Yeah.
1: Okay, next up we have Benjamin Harrison, a number eight seed, versus Adlai Stevenson in 1956, who is a number nine seed. Tell us about the Benjamin.
0: Yeah, so Benjamin Harrison
1: was president of the United
0: States. He was elected in 1888. Where he defeated the incumbent in Grover Cleveland, only to lose to Grover Cleveland in 1892. Where he won 145 electoral votes, 16 states, and 43% of the vote. He was a Republican. You know, he ran on a lot of those boring late 19th century things. He um, was against the spoils system and for, you know. Uh, a merit-based system of executive appointments. He wanted to maintain the high tariffs that most Republicans supported for protective reasons. He more or less wanted to maintain the gold standard and and to pay out veterans' pensions. He also actually wanted a a federal election oversight bill to help protect African-American voting rights. He signed the Sherman Antitrust Act into law. He created the National Forest Reserves. Um, He wanted to strengthen and modernize the United States Navy. He wanted to actually introduce federal education funding. And yeah, some Republicans actually post him because he wasn't corrupt enough. Like, he he wouldn't play ball with them on appointments. Uh, He actually felt he didn't want to be president for a second term, but he felt compelled to run because of that, because (laughs) these, like, corrupt Republicans were like, we don't like you. And he's like, well, guess what? Now you're convincing me I have to run,
1: so. Interesting. All right, so... Adlai Stevenson, and this is 1956. He uh, ran also in 1952. Stevenson was the Democratic nominee for president up against a uh, friend of the show, Dwight D. Eisenhower. He had served as governor of Illinois until 1953. Uh, like I said, he was the Dems nominee against Eisenhower in 1952 as well. Despite a landslide loss in 1952, he got nominated again in 56 and had yet another landslide loss, receiving only 42% of the vote. Stevenson was cautious about decentralization segregation he wanted an end to the draft and he wanted an international ban on above ground nuclear weapons tests this is not a particularly exciting election in 1996 yeah he was an egghead that is what they called him (laughs) and he said yes i am eggheads of the world unite wow Uh, ahead of his time okay i think i'm inclined to go with harrison here me too stevenson seems like almost a pre fdr democrat in many ways Mm-hmm. whereas Harrison is not considered a particularly successful president. No. But I think he's on the right track. Maybe not with the tariffs, but definitely with, like, the, the voting rights you were talking about. And- yeah,
0: his heart was certainly in the right place, I think. Right. And I think compared to Cleveland, who was actually quite conservative. He was what they called a Bourbon Democrat. Mm. You know, I, I think there's something to be said for the sort of, like, relative to the time, the progressivism of Benjamin Harrison
1: yeah and i like the idea of he was like eh, i don't even want to run again but we'll. like that's that's a it's a washingtonian or eisenhower yes. level of dedication mm-hmm. i agree are we giving it to harrison I, it sounds like we are all right well we flew through that one but stevenson will have one more shot in this bracket yes I mean, he will i don't think harrison will go too far who knows
0: probably not but you never know
1: yeah he'll be up against nixon next round yeah ooh All right, the next matchup, we have Thomas Dewey in 1944 versus William Henry Harrison.
0: Yes, that is governor of New York, Thomas E. Dewey, who at the time of his nomination by the Republican Party was the youngest ever nominee for the Republican Party. He was the first candidate, in fact, who was born in the 20th century for the Republicans. But that did not pay off at the ballot box where he lost to FDR and FDR's fourth election for president he won 99 electoral votes 12 states and 45.9 percent of the popular vote he and roosevelt they saw eye to eye on foreign policy you will remember this was happening at the end of world war ii this election but he did think that fdr and the democratic establishment were corrupt and that the new deal was inefficient and communistic and, you know, he was just a small government Republican. He wanted less government intervention, um, you know, a less regulated economy. And his whole thing was like, who do you want to see through the end of the war? You know, who, who do you want when, when the dust is settled as we're so close to it happening, who do you want you leading out of it? And he said that he would make the best leader, but obviously the American people did not agree with him.
1: Yeah. William Henry Harrison, though he would successfully win the presidency four years later, in 1836, old Tippecanoe was nominated by the Whigs to challenge incumbent Democratic vice president martin van buren harrison received only 37 percent of the vote in that election background on him he was a war hero in the war of 1812 and some conflicts against native americans uh and for a short while he was a senator from ohio in 1836 slavery was the biggest issue uh in the race following uh, the nat turner slave rebellion and harrison was pretty (laughs) pro-slavery so that's what you got i went down a thomas dewey rabbit hole for this episode mike yeah I think he's one of the most handsome men ever nominated for the <laughs> presidency. He, he does look kind of like Clark Gable. Yeah, I was reading. I found this CNN article from 2012 that compared Dewey and uh, Romney. People said of Dewey that he looked like the guy on top of the wedding cake, <laughs> <laughs> and they basically and they were like, Romney's like that exact same thing. He just looks like the dude who's like the like plastic guy on top of the wedding cake. I kind of like. I kind of dig Dewey. I do, too. I, he was pretty progressive. You know,
0: he yeah. passed, like, the first anti-racial discrimination employment law in the country while he was governor of New York. He he supported what he called pay-as-you-go liberalism. He said specifically government can be progressive and solvent at the same time. You know, he, he was an enemy of organized crime, if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. He did, like, a, a lot of prosecuting against, like, corruption and stuff.
0: Yeah. I feel like I likely had ancestors who voted for him for governor because he was a Republican <laughs> in New York. So I, I'm also inclined to, to old, old Thomas Edmund.
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't love the idea, and this has been a through line just because he runs for election f- four freaking times, of like cutting off FDR. Yeah. But in 1944, I guess I'm slightly more comfortable because he only lives a few months more. Yes. If anything, it's the responsible thing to
0: do. Certainly better for Roosevelt's health, I would think. Let FDR Um, He was, Dewey was actually also, he was the first candidate to receive security briefings.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I see no reason not to go with Dewey in this matchup. I'll put it that way. I agree. Okay. On goes the Dewmeister. That's a number five seed, defeating number 12 seed. Pretty good. (laughs) Back on track. All right. Let's see. Next up, we have uh, Martin Van Buren in 1840, number four seed, versus Charles Pinckney in 1808, uh, number 13 seed. Talk to me about uh, Van Buren. Martin Van Buren, the first president to be born an American citizen, he
0: lost election in 1840 to William Henry Harrison. Funny enough. Um, He was a Democrat, he won six electoral votes. 46.8% of the vote. So the reason he lost basically was that the United States was in a period of economic peril in 1840. It was not doing very well. In fact, the currency was deflating. And Van Buren's solution to this was to create an independent treasury system. At this point, the government stored funds, not in banks, but just in vaults, right? (laughs) You know, basically under giant cast iron mattresses. And so his big thing was to create an independent treasury system to manage the country's finances. He was also uh, against westward expansion of slavery and refused to admit Texas as a slave state while he was president, which was a hot button issue then. And is also why we, we mentioned him earlier as a candidate for the Free Soil Party. Another thing he ran on later on when he ran for president again a few years later. So,
1: yeah, yeah, he's in here a couple times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Charles Pinckney in 1808 uh, This is Federalist Charles Pinckney's second time up in two cycles Uh, This time he's up against Democratic-Republican James Madison He had been Minister of France under President Washington And after the brutal defeat to Thomas Jefferson in 1804's presidential election He did a little bit better He got 32% (laughs) of the vote this time Still lost He opposed emancipation He believed that slavery was necessary for the economy He was also, shocker, a slave owner Mm-hmm. But Federalists hoped that his Southern roots, uh, he was from South Carolina, and that he was a general, and some differences in economic policies would make uh, Pinckney a strong candidate against Madison. It did not. No. We talked about Pinckney in our, our first quarter
0: of this round, and he he sucked real bad. Like, <laughs> he yeah. was like... like every caricature of the founding fathers that sort of you know people who don't like the founding fathers like to paint of them i feel like he was that right yeah like he was an aristocrat who wanted an aristocratic form of government who loved owning slaves
1: right and unlike you know some of the better known founding fathers he didn't contribute much (laughs) like no no. not like he did a I mean, I guess he was a general and stuff, but... He know. was a delegate
0: to the Constitutional Convention, and apparently the best thing he did was, like, saying that a requirement for a treaty being signed was the Senate would have to approve it. All right, good job. Chuck. But outside of that, I mean...
1: Yeah, I- I'm inclined to go with Van Buren for... I like Van Buren, but it- this is mostly a vote against oh, yes. Pinkney. I-, I would agree. All right van buren advances see we've like flown through these last three after our big nixon v anderson (laughs) showdown and we are ready for a commercial break if you're enjoying floor fight be sure to check out the podcast that started it all running mates it's the podcast where mike and i went through every modern presidential election through the lens of vice presidential picks not only that but we made our case
0: for who would have been a better pick each cycle and where and how vice presidential picks could make a difference each election. Could Hillary Clinton have won in 2016 if she picked a
1: different running mate? Could Al Gore have won in 2000 if he picked a different running mate? That's the premise of Running Mates, which you can find on thepostwriter.com or everywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe and run through every election from 1968 to 2020 with an emphasis on that second name on the ticket. And we're back. (laughs) Uh, Did you have a nice commercial break, Mike? I did. That's excellent. Did you enjoy that Running Mates trailer as much as I did?
0: (laughs) I loved it when we recorded it like two years ago.
1: yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, check it out. Okay, we are back for our second half of the third quarter of the first round. And guess who's back? We now have number six seed, Thomas Dewey, but this time the year that he infamously did not defeat truman 1948 versus uh, another conservative icon barry goldwater tell us again about dewey Mike. <laughs> right so thomas dewey at this point he is still governor he was governor for a long time
0: and uh he's still governor of new york he was still republican but this time after 16 consecutive years of, of democrats in the white house surely America's ready for a change of pace Surely, we had gotten tired of the Roosevelts and Trumans of the world. Well, surely that was actually not the case. He had <laughs> lost Harry S. Truman, despite what the Reader's Digest published. I'm sure it was very scientific. Right. Um, told the country, and despite what that one newspaper printed as its headline, he only won one hundred and ninety nine electoral votes. 16 states 45.1 percent there's also of course the democrats were divided this year strom thurmond you know sort of started the dixie crap movement to run against truman who was very liberal on social issues so that didn't help so this Dewey was problems was he wasn't aggressive enough actually he just kind of ran as just like a fresh face right he was actually against the red scare and like red baiting he was against mccarthyism and he, he thought his victory was a lock so he didn't really offer a lot of substantive ideas he spoke in platitudes and optimistic rhetoric in fact someone wrote of him that No presidential candidate in the future will be so inept that four of his major speeches can be boiled down to these historic four sentences. Agriculture is important. Our rivers are full of fish. You cannot have freedom without liberty. (laughs) our future lies ahead. All true things, of course. (laughs) He also had a bit of an issue because the congressional Republicans who had majorities at this point were considered, like, do nothing congressmen because they were really just there to obstruct Truman's agenda. You know, he broadly spoke of unity. He did want to expand Social Security. He did want to fund public housing. He wanted to pass civil rights legislation. He wanted to promote the health and education through federal means. So he did have some sort of, you know, progressive ideas, but he didn't articulate them particularly well and he ended up losing
1: barry goldwater republican senator from arizona barry goldwater the man credited for starting the conservative movement of the last 60 years he was the gop's nominee against lbj in 1964. he lost that election receiving only 38.5 percent of the vote in a massive landslide for johnson who painted goldwater as an extremist rockefeller republicans didn't like goldwater they thought he was too far right and in fact uh, <laughs> rockefeller himself was defeated by goldwater in that primary uh goldwater opposed the 1964 civil rights act for states rights reasons uh he was critical of eisenhower his party's last president and he railed against coastal elites and he believed in tactical nuclear weapons use in vietnam Fun fact, this is the last election in which the Democratic Party won the white vote. Mm. Uh, Also, fun fact that's important as we think about this comparison, Goldwater hated the modern Republican Party. He He called out the party in the 90s. He told them, like, don't associate my name with you. Uh, He called them extremists. He said the religious right were, like, morons. He endorsed a Democrat in Arizona, and he told Republicans to lay off Bill Clinton, and he Wanted to like legalize medical marijuana. He supported the right to choose and like favored gays serving. Yeah, groups. he was against
0: don't ask, don't tell. Yeah, he was he was really a libertarian. I think towards the end of his career in life. Yeah, he also wanted to like abolish social security. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He he's he's fascinating just because of that. And it's like the first Rick Perlstein book is like it's it's about him. It's about his campaign and just like. The way he kind of like hated everybody who like supported him was really interesting. He 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 clearly thought that like the people cuz he was he was kind of drafted into running for president, right? Like there were like, you know, he he obviously wanted to be president, but he there were people who were like looking for a conservative candidate and they kind of singled him out as best and they had to kind of pitch him on the idea a little bit. Mm. And it was clear he just held them in like contempt. Like and he thought they were just kind of like nerds who had no life basically? <laughs> And the 1976 Republican primary, he endorsed Gerald Ford against Ronald Reagan, who was more conservative. And one of the reasons why is because he was like, there were members from his 64 campaign working for Ronald Reagan. And he's like, I don't want anything to do with these people. Like, (laughs) he was just a fascinating dude. That said, I think the 1964 version of Barry Goldwater would not be a good thing to have in the White House. Yes. Um, And and I think Thomas Dewey would actually be kind of cool as president. Yes, I agree. I feel like he'd he'd be like Eisenhower, but like the younger, hipper version of Eisenhower. Right. He would also have been the first
1: president with facial hair since Grover Cleveland. Oh, even better. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I I, I agree. Dewey is a better direction for the party than Goldwater in their respective times. They're pretty pretty close to each other. This is only, what, 16 years apart, these two elections? Yeah. Yeah. Are, Are we giving it to Dewey? Yeah, I think we are. Dewey has advanced twice now in this same episode. My nightmare is we get Dewey 48 versus Dewey 44. (laughs) Oh, I think that's easy, personally. Yeah. But it could very well happen. Let's move on. We have number three seed DeWitt Clinton versus (laughs) number 14 seed Teddy Roosevelt. Mm. Tell us about
0: DeWitt. Yeah, so DeWitt Clinton, a New York politician extraordinaire. By this point in his career, he had been a senator from New York very briefly. He had been mayor of New York City three different occasions, and he had also been lieutenant governor of New York. By the way, he was for a time mayor of New York City and lieutenant governor of New York simultaneously. What? He held both posts from 1811 to 1813. Whoa. Uh, Yes, he was a Democratic Republican, but he was supported by the Federals who didn't really have a candidate in 1812 um, because they were a very poorly organized party. Um, He won 89 electoral votes, seven states, uh, 47.6% of the popular vote. He lost to James Madison. He ran against the War of 1812. He didn't think it was a good idea specifically because it hurt New England, which was sort of a federalist constituency. It hurt them economically because it it affected trade between, I was gonna say the UK, it wasn't the UK then, between Great Britain and the United States. So he ran against the War of 1812 while he was in New England, but when he was in the South, which really liked the War of 1812, he ran for the war. Huh. But he was really trying to sort of like cut against the Southern dominance of the Democratic Republicans, because he himself was not a southerner. And yeah, that was DeWitt.
1: Very good, so Teddy Roosevelt, you've heard of him. Former President Theodore Roosevelt it was sad that he wasn't president anymore, and upset mm-hmm. that his hand-picked successor, William Howard Taft, wasn't all he thought he would be. What do you do when that happens? Well, if it's 1912, you run against your president in the Republican primary, which Teddy lost to the incumbent Taft. So, being a spiteful little bitch, Roosevelt (laughs) launched his own party, the Progressive or Bull Moose Party. He ran on social insurance programs, an eight-hour workday, federal regulation... Uh, and whatnot. But of course, Taft and Teddy uh, very predictably split the vote, and uh, Roosevelt only got 27% of the vote, and Taft only 23%. You'll notice those numbers together make a majority of the vote. Mm. But Democrat Woodrow Wilson handily swept and won 40 states and the election. A lot of states. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we we had Taft. Taft won his play-in round for this election. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was in our first episode, and then he lost last episode to John Kerry in the first round. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've talked about this election before a couple times now. Yeah, are we agreed that Taft is at the bottom of this election, and then it is Roosevelt or Wilson?
0: <laughs> yeah, you had to choose yeah. a winner. Yeah. I, well, in this particular matchup, I think the answer is Roosevelt, because it seems pretty clear to me Clinton is not offering a lot.
1: <laughs> right. And I, I don't know how you run on being against the War of 1812, you know. Yes, I agree. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I Yeah. I'm just trying to give us some some fodder, but I guess Roosevelt should probably just Well, advance. is it?
0: Like, I I think the question of would you vote for Roosevelt or Wilson is an interesting one. Wilson obviously... Uh, on social issues i think was bad like you know yeah. i think uh, his positions have that age well but you don't have an income tax without him you might not have
1: you know female suffrage without him Direct um, election of senators
0: yeah direct election of senators um not that the you president know, he, has
1: anything to do with constitutional amendments but yeah
0: right yeah <laughs> um well you know i'm sure he helped and he laid the groundwork for the liberal world order which yeah. fell apart you know Uh, 20 years later and then caused a war, but he he got the ball rolling at least. Roosevelt, you know, Roosevelt, I'm curious, I read enough about like what Roosevelt's position on like World War I was. He's Um, very rah-rah war. Yeah, so that would have been interesting. Like would he have opened up like a front at the Mexican border after the Zimmerman telegram? (laughs) Maybe.
1: They they both have complicated legacies. I I think they're both considered on net good presidents
0: right uh, effective presidents who helped modernize the country whatever their right uh right.
1: shortcomings right i i think in this situation we should let roosevelt advance though i i just yes. i don't have yeah. he, he would have made for a better president in his time than clinton would have made in his yes also i feel like clinton's seating is probably inflated by the fact that there were less states when he was <laughs> yeah Around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's our first upset of this episode. 14 seed beats a three. Good for Teddy. All right. Our second to last matchup this episode is between John Quincy Adams, a number seven seed, and Bob Dole, a number 10 seed. Tell us about John Quincy.
0: Yeah, so we've talked about John Quincy Adams, who was a congressman and secretary of state and how he came to the presidency in, you know, the so-called corrupt bargain in 1824 when he won via a contingent election in the House over Andrew Jackson. In 1828, Jackson came back looking for a rematch and he proved victorious this time. They were technically both members of the Democratic Republican Party, but Quincy Adams was part of what was called the National Republican, you know, faction of it. He won eighty-three electoral votes, nine states, and forty-four percent of the popular vote. He supported the American system, which was, you know, Henry Clay's sort of like vigorous investments into infrastructure and in tariffs and in defense. He he also claimed he, he ran a lot, sort of, like, you know, personally against Jackson. He said that he was violent and unstable. He ran a very nasty campaign. He basically called Jackson a murderer. Um, he and he was an anti-populist, whereas Jackson, of course, was a populist. He also ran. On uh, the establishment of a national university An American university, if you will Uh, And he also wanted to uh, Sort of strengthen diplomatic ties With Latin American countries But Congress was not very receptive To either of those things
1: Interesting Bob Dole, Senate Majority Leader And Senator from Kansas Bob Dole was the Republicans' nominee Against Democrat Bill Clinton In the 1996 election This was not a particularly competitive election Uh, As the economy was good Clinton was uh, popular Dole only got 41% of the vote He ran on cutting taxes and supply-side policies. He had to run a bit more to the right than he wanted to to get through the primary against Pat Buchanan, and he ended up embracing the strategy of, like, age comparison with Clinton, (laughs) which didn't work out super well because Clinton was, like, president, and Dole kept, like, talking about World War II and the Depression, which was well over 50 years before this election. (laughs) But uh, they felt recent to to Bob Dole, (laughs) He died recently. R.I.P. Bob Dole. That is the end of my description of Bob Dole. Yeah, here, here's two people separated by like 150 years. We've talked about the 1824 election a lot, so it's fun to finally talk about the 1828 one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm leaning Quincy Adams because w- when I read about like some of the stuff he was running on, especially like with the infrastructure and like he's he's more of like a Federalist uh, and anti Jacksonian, mm-hmm. that, that appeals to me a lot more than. Bob Dole's lethargy.
0: Yes. I feel like Bob Dole was just kind of running on the embers of the Reagan revolution in a lot of ways. Right. I was like, hey, you know this stuff that George H.W. Bush ran on four years ago that you didn't like anymore? Well, how about it again? <laughs> right? It really feels like kind of the last gasps of that, of him trying to put that coalition back together and not really sort of. A lot of fresh ideas in that regard. It's it's so interesting to me this idea that like Jackson was always compared to a king so much so that the party that opposed him called themselves the Whigs because that's what the party that opposed the king was called in Great Britain. Hmm. Because it he was like weirdly it seems like he was kind of like against a, far, a strong federal government and yes and yet people thought he acted king like which I guess had more to do with his personal manner and like the way he sort of staffed his cabinet and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I I like paper money. I like investments in infrastructure, and I like Native Americans. So that's why I'm
1: inclined to vote for John Quincy Adams. Right. I I also – the idea of, like, the national university Mm -hmm. is a a very European thing. Like, that's a big – like, France very infamously has, like, a – if you want to, like, be – a politician in france you all have to go to like the same college <laughs> yes the equity or whatever it's called yeah that's like very fascinating to me i see the like appeal of like training professional politicians and i, I don't know i i don't have a lot of like i feel kind of bad because bob dole seems like a, a good person who just yes. like was unable to articulate or stand up to the worst impulses around him mm-hmm. but I, you don't get to be president for that so i gotta go with adams
0: yeah, and do do we want to... Was was Gingrich gone by then? I don't remember, but like, do we want a, a president who's going to be like, you know what, New Gingrich? Just pass some stuff and I'll sign it. Right. Yeah. Which is not to say Bill Clinton didn't sign things that New Gingrich sent him, because he certainly did. But. Right,
1: right. <laughs> okay, and we are on to our last in this quarter. We have number two seed, Winfield Scott Hancock, versus number 15 seed, who won his play-in round against George Wallace. Uh, we have Ross Perot in the election of nineteen 1992. So
0: Winfield Scott Hancock, who was named after Winfield Scott, who was another losing candidate who was also in this bracket, he was a Democrat. He was a general in the United States Army. He was like a hero of the, of the Battle of Gettysburg. <laughs> he ran against James A. Garfield and lost. Uh, he won 155 electoral votes, 19 states, 48.2% of the vote. So the thing about that election is that the Democratic platform was not very different than the Republican platform. It was one of those very personality-based candidates. Campaigns. You know, Hancock charged that Garfield was corrupt and couldn't be trusted and things like that. He also differed a little bit on the ever exciting tariff issue. So, Republicans who got a lot of their support from the North and from industrialized cities wanted tariffs that were like explicitly protective. Or as Democrats thought they should only be used to, you know, generate revenue when that was no longer needed, you could get rid of them. The also confusing was like, oh, tariffs should be a local issue, which is not really how tariffs work. <laughs> Wait, so what? he also wanted to decrease Chinese immigration. So there was that, too. But
1: yeah, uh, not both not, did, not right? th- both candidates.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yes, that that was that was old old WSH.
1: Yeah. So Ross Perot from 1992. We talked about him in the play in round. He was an independent candidate from Texas. Uh, he was a tech billionaire billionaire something like that he he made his name by opposing Bush's internationalist policies that's George HW Bush Perot was against both the Persian Gulf War and NAFTA uh, he was very much a weird kind of populist <laughs> as all these billionaire populists are but he was most vociferous about ending free trade which he argued would cause a giant sucking sound of jobs leaving the country he supported a balanced budget gun control and he wanted to end outsourcing he wanted fuel tax increases and se- social security cuts to uh, fight the deficit yeah, Ross Perot. It is interesting because he was very much a protectionist economically
0: and Hancock was not, apparently.
1: Yes. Um, so I know who gets my vote.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I don't love either of these, like yeah. w- there's not a lot about Winfield Scott Hancock that particularly excites me. My but... philosophy
1: with this is like we gotta go kind of back to Tilden. Yeah. Like our logic with Tilden was like, okay, Tilden is like fine as a Democrat in a mm-hmm. time when like being a Democrat is a problem
0: yes so yeah. maybe
1: he can help steer the ship yes and and
0: and a union general as a democratic president in 1880 seems like it'd probably be like a really big deal right and probably for the better so i i agree i think we should give it to to winnie
1: yeah i i i am not for ross perot getting very far <laughs> at all he, he should definitely not have been president mm-hmm. all right another easy win for uh our uh, our top seed there
0: yeah um, that that concludes, in fact, round one, third quarter. And we've now gone from 48 candidates to 40. And
1: were there any results that surprised you, Lars? No, I actually think this was the most predictable episode so far, and possibly that there will be. I yeah. think we the only tension we had was between Nixon and Anderson. The rest <laughs> of these were pretty easy to clear. Yeah, very chalky. Yeah. We, we got rid of a lot of weak candidates here. We did. We definitely thinned the herd. Yeah. I don't know. Anyone you thought was <laughs> got further who we <laughs> didn't expect? Not not
0: necessarily, no. Like you said, it was a pretty chalky round. I mean, I think, I guess the most surprising thing was that we were so hung up on Nixon-Anderson. I mean, who would have thought that that would be such a big issue for us? I,
1: I uh. came prepared to, to fight on that one. Mm-hmm. You know, we said last episode, we started the podcast very strong, right? We were giving a lot of credibility to non-modern history candidates and mm-hmm. you know we were eschewing our modernity bias mm-hmm. uh, and then our our second quarter of round one we like just like all these like 20th century guys got through but we like wiped almost all of them out this time we went for Dewey over Goldwater we went for Quincy Adams over Dole and mm-hmm. Hancock over Ross Perot like we, we we really just got rid of modern history. <laughs> we
0: did.
1: No, not as much
0: recency bias, and by recency we mean stuff that happened like 20 years before we were born. But yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. all right. Any
0: matchups in, in this, in this part of the bracket that you're that you're gearing up for?
1: Yes, I, I think this is. I think this is probably our weakest quarter. Nixon v. Harrison will be interesting because I think neither of us felt particularly strongly that Nixon would have made a particularly like special president in 1960. Yeah. Um, but I don't have very strong feelings about Benjamin Harrison either. I think the Deweys are ones to keep an eye on. I could see Dewey yeah. going very far. Dewey Roosevelt is an interesting one. Yeah. I don't know. Any any you're looking forward to see going pretty far?
0: Yeah, we'll see how, how, how interesting we find the National University idea and if that <laughs> right. if that gives John Quincy Adams more legs than we were expecting him to have.
1: I know, that's that's kind of what I like about this podcast, right? Is we can as as we whittle them down, we can spend so much more time talking about the nuances of their their policies if they mm-hmm. you know stick it through that that'll yeah. be fun.
0: Well, uh, you're just gonna have to stay tuned to find out how things actually do shake out here on Floor Fight. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever podcasts are found, or of course you can just check us out at thepostwriter.com and stay tuned live with our updating bracket at thepostwriter.com/slash Floor Fight. See how each candidate fared as we whittle them down over the course of this series. Tweet at us at the post Writer or email us at contact at ThePostWriter.com to let us know what picks you would have made, where we aired, and the tremendous injustice we committed against, you know, your candidate of choice. All, all you DeWitt Clinton heads out there, I know you exist. <laughs>
1: there, there are definitely a lot of Perot people out there. Oh, <laughs> They're yeah, coming for, sure. for us.
0: <laughs> for sure. But that'll do it for this quarter, and we will see you next time
1: for round one. Still round one, but quarter four on Floor Fight.